You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Would you rather be known as the Incredible Hulk or Little Guy, Superman or Pee-wee, Rambo or Shorty? Do you want to be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Myron Janell. Dr. Janell is Professor Emeritus of Pediatric Endocrinology at Yale University School of Medicine. He was Director of Pediatric Endocrinology from 1971 to 1985. Dr. Janell received the 2004 Joseph W. St. Jean Award, one of the highest honors in academic pediatrics, and was the recipient of the Abraham Jacoby Memorial Award from the American Academy of Pediatrics. In June 2006, he was appointed to the Health and Human Services Secretary's Advisory Committee on Human Research Protections. Today we are discussing the evaluation of short stature in childhood. Welcome, Dr. Janelle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Could you tell us what is short stature? How would you define it? Well, short stature is really a uh, colloquial term for what is a, a, a statistical disease or disorder. By definition, it is uh, all children who are plot below a certain arbitrary level on the standard growth grids. I think most of us would feel that a child who is below the third percentile on the growth chart uh, is uh, deserving of careful monitoring, if not evaluation, uh, for causes of short stature, particularly if that is discordant uh, with the family patterns of growth. And obviously, something that uh, growth that is falls below the third percentile, particularly if it is failing to keep up at least with that level on the growth chart. That is to say that there is a graphically that the growth appears to be a plateauing, as we say. That, I think, at any point is a level for concern and, and really deserves evaluation. Is the growth velocity a factor as well? Yeah, well, growth velocity certainly is, uh, and uh, I think uh, rule of thumb is that children between uh, all the ages of two and adolescent should grow at least two inches a year. Obviously, there'll be uh, the, the peak growth velocity is in the first uh, year or two of life and at uh, the time of uh, adolescence, and a common variation uh, that we see in children is, is really related to the timing of adolescence. And a, a number of variations in growth patterns really reflect the uh, variation in the timing of adolescence. You mentioned the way the child fits in with the family. Is it safe to assume that a child does not have a growth hormone deficiency just based on family history alone? No, because I think as we learn more and more about the causes of uh, growth problems, we recognize that there are some disorders that are inherited in families. Those that we can define are, are rather rare. So I think it is not unexpected that you that short parents will have children who are relatively short. That does not mean that they might not be candidates for some of the interventions, but I think it is reassurance that you're not dealing with some underlying disorder that's impairing their growth. What are the major identifiable causes of growth failure or short stature? Well, uh, they're legion. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I uh, if you look at a uh, any standard. Uh, endocrine books. The list of disorders that one has to consider in evaluating uh, abnormalities in growth is extremely long. I, I'm flipping uh, through one here now, and uh, on a on a standard eight by ten book, the the list that's listed as causes of short stature fills one entire page. I mean, 
mean, it ranges from everything from normal patterns of growth with relative short stature to uh, underlying disorders, some of them endocrine, but uh, on a percentage basis, uh, only a minority of the youngsters who have disorders of growth have disorders of the endocrine system. With a list that long, I guess I'm really glad I'm not in medical school having to take a test on that. Well, no, there are some interesting disorders here, such as Bloom syndrome, Seckel syndrome, uh, Russell Silver uh, syndrome, uh, etc. It's a it is a long list, but there are, are uh, some very useful methods that one can use to narrow down on that list. Could you say a little bit more about that? Well, certainly careful follow up and careful monitoring of growth and a very careful family history. I think that's the first uh, uh, the first essential. What's a reasonable interval between measurements? Well, I think traditionally a year is. Uh, not unreasonable in a youngster who's growing uh, normally uh, or growing, you know, uh, or you're monitoring uh, routinely. Uh, however, the measurements sh- should be done accurately and they should be re- reproducible. And the endocrine centers that I'm at, we use a wall-mounted uh, stadiometers for, for accuracy, but even there, I have to be very careful to be sure that the aides who are measuring uh, our patients uh, are very carefully trained and instructed as to how to do this. When I uh, get a little sloppy, sometimes I, f- I-, I see youngsters uh, who shrink uh, on follow-up. Well, obviously, they don't shrink, but one of the measurements is, is off, and it's a reminder that we have to be very, very careful to be sure we get accurate, very accurate and reproducible measurements. What I instruct our aides to do is to have the youngster stand up straight in front of a wall-mounted monitor to take a deep breath and then to catch the measurement at inspiration. Now, is that more accurate than, uh, than say, at expiration? Not necessarily, but at least it's reproducible. In other words, that is a method that we can instruct them to do reproducibly at the same time. Well, that's a great tip. And for those who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Myron Janelle. Dr. Janelle is Professor Emeritus of Pediatric Endocrinology at Yale University School of Medicine, and we are discussing the evaluation of short stature in children. Now, the the next part of that is once you have an accurate measurement, is to chart it accurately. And uh, a very common failure that I've seen in a number of very busy practices is that the charting is relegated to an aid, which is okay, except that uh, not infrequently, uh, because the child is in for their, say, six-year visit, it's charted at six years, even though the child may be six and a half <laughs> at the actual time. In other I words, go through that in my office all the time. It's just a common fallacy made by people who really don't understand uh, the uh, or, or take the trouble to understand what the, what the growth charts really mean. If the pediatrician decides that this child just is not growing right, they've done the sequential follow-up, they've taken family history, prior to referring a child to you, what preliminary tests would you expect the pediatrician to obtain? Well, some very routine things, and of course, some of it will be different emphasis depending on the age of the child. But I think uh, sort of the standard thing that one would look at in a youngster who's not thriving, uh, a blood count or a CBC, uh, a sed rate, uh, uh, looking for some uh, causes of inflammation. Now, the hooker of there, of course, is if, you know, that youngsters who have uh, periodic uh, incidental infections might have an elevated sed rate, but at least it's a at least if it's normal, that's, uh, that, you know, that, that's reassuring. I think a, uh, a urinalysis, uh, we will recommend that uh, what is now, I think, termed a basic metabolic uh, profile, that would be BUN, creatinine, 
electrolytes, uh, liver enzymes, which are done routinely. I, I mean, I can't say that the yield of something like this, in our experience, is very great, but then I presume that those youngsters who have obvious problems are screened out before they get to us. How good a test is the bone age? Uh, the bone age is a helpful test, and it's helpful because it is non-invasive, in a sense. It's relatively easy to do. It should be the hand and wrist. By convention, I ask radiologists to do the left hand and wrist. Is that because most people are right-handed? No, that's because I don't like getting called asking me which hand I want. <laughs> I usually use the plural. If you want to routinely order the right hand, that's all right, too. <laughs> but uh, that, that's, why, that, that's essentially why I order the left. No, there's really, there's really no difference. Uh, uh, the thing to keep in mind, though, is that this is not a quantitative uh, measure. This is a qualitative measure and really depends upon... The time and expert, the time taken in reviewing the film, uh, compared to the standard to the standard atlas, and what basically what is done is that uh, the films are compared to the uh, a standard uh, bone age atlas, the one that's used is is really compiled by convention, uh, and the uh, the plates in the atlas are for both are separated by gender, so it's very important to be sure that the right gender is used because if you especially in the, uh, in the school-age youngsters, if you, by mistake, look at a, use a standard for a, uh, for, for a girl rather than for a boy, you're going to be very, you're going to be misled. That's for sure. Uh, and that's, and, and by the way, the, I mean, these are errors that I have, you know, that I have seen in a very busy, in, you know, if, if somebody who's very, very busy looking quickly through a, thumbing through a uh, bone age atlas may very well not look carefully to see what gender they're looking at and misread the uh, misread the baseline. I'm sure that our audience is sitting out there wondering, how come they haven't talked about growth hormone deficiency? Is it a difficult test to get a good result on? And why is the diagnosis so difficult? Well, the diagnosis is so difficult because we really don't, we still have very rudimentary uh, tests. Uh, uh, the uh, the children who have severe growth hormone deficiency, or you will congenital uh, growth hormone deficiency, usually with a anatomical abnormality of the pituitary gland that's demonstrable by uh, an MRI, are generally pretty easy uh, to determine. They start to show growth failure uh, usually after about a year of life. Typically, they don't show that much in the first year, but typically they'll show. Uh, growth failure after the first year of life. They may, if they're males, they may have a small penis, which is a very typical presentation, and they uh, can be very subject to to episodes of hypoglycemia. That youngster uh, will have very, very low levels of what we call growth factors, IGF-1 and IGF-BP3, which are substances which are result directly from the action of a growth hormone and are fairly stable in the circulation. Uh, so I think they're useful as screening tests, primarily because they do reflect growth hormone secretion, but also because they're fairly stable. Now, they reflect other things as well, particularly the IGF-1, which is very, very uh, uh, sensitive to nutritional states. Uh, so you can be misled by a low IGF-1 in a youngster who has basically nutritional abnormalities uh, rather than an abnormality in growth hormone secretion. In most of those situations, the IGF-BP3, that stands for IGF binding protein, 3, and I stress 3 because there is there are also IGF binding proteins 1 and IGF, uh, which, which reflects insulin action, not growth hormone action. Many of the commercial laboratories using personnel that are not very sophisticated uh, if you're not careful, we'll, we'll give you an IGF 
BP1, binding protein 1, mixing it up with the IGF1. So, I mean, the, the terminology here to somebody who's not doesn't understand the area can be confusing to the detriment of the, uh, of the patient care. Our time is going so quickly, and I have so many more questions I would love to be able to ask you. But at this time, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Janelle, for being our guest. And we have been discussing the evaluation of short stature in childhood. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.